0: Um, So we want to welcome you whether you're part of our regular family or from from outside, we certainly want to welcome you today. It is our um, habit to work our way through the uh, the Word of God in particular a book in the Word of God and we trust that the Word of God is always relevant. We don't have to make it relevant. We just have to go through it and let it speak and it shows us the things that we need for our particular time and certainly the book of Exodus has done that and continues to do that in incredible effective ways uh, that speaks to our situations that we're experiencing today and we are presently in exodus chapter 18 and we're going to read verses 13 through 27 and i would invite you where you are to stand out of respect for the word of god as we read it this morning I would encourage you to have your bibles open although it will be on the screen for you Uh, i encourage you to to still have your your bibles handy to see it there and to read it from there Um, but uh, if you need the 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 words on the screen they will be there so exodus chapter 18 beginning at verse 13 all the way through verse 27 the next day moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around uh, moses from morning till evening When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their case to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known The way in which they must walk and what that uh, and what they must do moreover look for able men from all the people men who fear God who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties of tens and let them judge the people at all times every great matter they shall bring to you but any small matter they shall decide themselves So it will be easier for you. They will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we trust that in studying your, your word, Lord, that you are going to shape us and guide us to be the kind of Uh, people you want us to be and and lord what we know not would you teach us what we are not lord would you make us what what we have not lord would you give us and as as your mouthpiece today lord would you uh speak through my words as as i seek to represent you this morning Would, would it be you that comes through your text and this moment and would your people be uh move to be more and more like your son Jesus Christ and Lord for those that may be watching who do not know you who are curious who have questions Lord may they see the beauty of your son Jesus Christ displayed even in this text so Lord give us freedom Lord give us direction and Lord help us now to do your will we ask in your precious name amen well one of the often forgotten inventions of man is the hinge early historical records and archaeology indicate that hinges were so expensive that only the wealthy and the powerful could afford them because of the metal and the craftsmanship necessary to build them so they were initially a sign of wealth and power i mean can you imagine inviting someone into your home and say Let me show you my hinges. I mean, that's just not part of a vocabulary. But through the years, as metallurgy became more common, people began to use hinges, in particular, on their exterior doors. But only the wealthy would have them inside. Can you imagine what it would be like to have doors that were not hinged, either curtains hanging or doors you'd have to wrestle into place every day as you're walking around through your house? Now, hinges are so commonplace and used in a variety of settings that we no longer actually pay attention to them. They are just the fabric of the world that we live in. But think about it. A good hinge makes for smooth transition through a door from one room to another. And friends, what we have in our text today is a hinge text. It moves us from one section of Exodus into another section. In fact, the structure of the book of Exodus really falls into three groups. What we have in verses uh, chapter 1 through 18, is God saving or delivering his people. In chapters 19 through 24, we have God speaking or demanding something from his people. In chapters 25 through 40, we have God settling or dwelling with his people. So in chapter 1 through 18, God has been delivering his people. We've seen that all throughout those, sec- those chapters, whether it be the plagues, whether it be the exodus. But we're going to be moving now to chapter 19 where God will begin to speak to Israel and make demands of them. And in order to do that, There must be structure and order to the community and a means through which those instructions can take place. So here at the end of chapter 18, God is preparing the people for what is to come next. And we have to remind ourselves that Moses is writing to a particular audience. It is the second generation of those who were born in the wilderness and are getting ready to go into the promised land. They weren't uh, aware of all these activities, of all these events. So he's wanting to make sure that they're understanding uh, what has taken place, why, and the implications of that for them. Now, this is a very well-known passage of Scripture. I'm sure you have recognized it and some things came to your mind. This is a place uh, where it is often identified as the Jethro Principle. The need for leaders to delegate responsibilities so that they can focus on the main things and so that they don't suffer burnout. And that is how this passage is often viewed. A text that deals uh, with and reveals effective leadership principles, listening and training and delegation, just to name a few. And it is true. There are some helpful principles for leadership here. However, if we are to relegate this text to important principles for leadership, we're going to miss the point of the text. There's something far more important going on that should catch our attention. Now, friends, let me remind you, Israel has been liberated from slavery in Egypt. And as slaves, they have had relatively little structure and organization as a people. In fact, they are under the leadership of uh, of Egypt, and so Egypt determined their organization and their structure. They were there as slaves to serve them, but now they are liberated. They are delivered by God's mighty hand, and a new nation has risen up out of Egypt and is in the wilderness, and the journey has been difficult, one where they had to learn lessons in trusting God to provide for them, but a people, a nation, must have structure in order to function well and the people were struggling in many ways we're told in this text they were experiencing disputes and that was happening among the people they needed counsel to make decisions they wanted to know the will of god how would all that take place so what the section is revealing to us is this the desperate need for god's people to be shepherded by godly men who faithfully represent Christ. Let me say that again. There's a desperate need for God's people to be shepherded by godly men who faithfully represent Christ. And our text naturally falls into three sections. I'm sure you probably saw it. If you read it ahead of time, you caught it. Uh, Jethro, first of all, identifies a problem then he offers a solution, and then Moses actually applies the advice that he is given. So there's a problem, there's a solution, and then there's the application. So let's jump in now, first of all, and, and try and identify the problem. What we're going to do is walk through the text, and at the end of our time, we're going we're to kind of tease out some implications for us from this text. First of all, the problem is addressed verses 13 through 18. And what we have to say here is that we are are impressed now by what Moses is doing, because really what Moses is doing is good. The text begins with a general description, doesn't it, of what Moses was doing with the people. And it's evident that Moses has taken his role of leadership uh, uh, of the people seriously. He's working hard to care for them. And that's why we read in verse 13, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Moses is sitting to judge the people. The word judge here is a general word uh, that we can understand based on the context is talking about settling disputes or or teaching and guiding, giving instruction um, or giving advice. But we also find the people who who are standing and waiting for Moses from morning till evening. So this is evidence that the people were desperate for help. And they're coming to Moses uh, with their questions and wanting them to be answered. Now, one of the things I have experienced in my life is taking my kids to school. And where we live in, in Hayward, we have to drive by The Hayward DMV. So every morning we drive by and there's this huge, long line of desperate people who are anticipating standing in line for hours only to get to a counter and say, you don't have the necessary paperwork. And then what that means for them is, ah, I got to go home and then I got to repeat the whole process again, right? It is one of the most pitiful images of desperate people standing in line for hours in need of help. And so there's a sense of this, this kind of picture here that we find happening here with Moses and the people. They're waiting to be heard. They're waiting for help, for guidance, and for direction. They were needing guidance and leadership for, uh, and for decisions to be made by someone with wisdom who was representing God. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, observes what Moses is doing and so he asks a question we'll pick it up at verse 14 when Moses father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people he said what is this that you're doing for the people why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening I mean it's quite a picture isn't it and someone now from the outside is looking in Jethro's question is in essence about the disproportion of one man's ability to to help the masses effectively. And Moses' response reflects his heart, doesn't it? And the responsibility that he feels as the God-given leader of the people. Here we have it in verse uh, 15 and 16. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute they come to me and i decide between one person and another and i make them know the statutes of god and his law so we can break his response really into two categories the first category being why the people came all right why are they coming here questions about god's will they're inquiring of god in other words, to know God's thoughts on a particular issue, a particular decision they're, they're facing, something they're contemplating. Now, friends, this is a common, uh, common question, a common reality when we're talking about leading God's people. As a pastor, uh, people have contacted me on, on numerous occasions asking lots of questions, lots of advice, wondering what God's word has to say. Let me kind of give you a sense of the things that leadership in the church often deals with. Someone has said, for the last five years, we've tried to have children, but for some reason, we can't. Why? What should we do? That's no small question to sit down and talk with them about. Or, my father has dementia and and needs 24-hour care, but none of our siblings or I have a place to care for him. We hate the thought of putting him into a home. What should we do? What would God want us to do? Or, I lost my job, and now my wife is angry with me. How can I get her to understand that I'm trying? Serious question. I-, I want to serve the Lord, and I'm looking to go to seminary. Where should I go? How should I proceed? Or I keep finding drugs in my son's room. What should I do? So when you think about these people coming to Moses and inquiring about God, it's not just a quick you know, a quick answer decision that Moses is popping up with. He's listening to their struggle. He's listening to their concern. And he's actually having to show them the statutes and the law of God. He's representing God. He's speaking God's will, his mind, his heart, his thoughts into the lives of the people. But secondly, there's disputes that they have. And and disputes are going to come up. In a well-ordered society, there's going to be some kind of a conflict. There's going to be differences of opinion. And here he is acting as a mediator or an arbitrator between them when disputes broke out. Now, if we flash forward, you might want to just quickly turn a couple of pages over in, in the book of Exodus. You'll notice that God begins to lay out some authoritative statements here. Uh, to help the people in making decisions in fact when you when you read some of the law that we have in this next section you might be tempted to think that god is just somehow laying out the stuff just to be hard on the people no these are things that have already been kind of fleshed out even in moses time with the people in chapter 21 verse 28 he gives detailed instructions about what to do when your ox gourds your neighbor i've never had that as a pastor no one's come to my office say my ox Gord my neighbor. What should I do? Well, God has an answer for that. Why? Because that's the kind of stuff that happened among the people. Or or maybe uh, chapter 22, verse 6. What happens when a fire breaks out? And who started it? That might be relevant here in California, right? But these are the kind of questions that, again, as a pastor, I've not had. But according to God's word, this was an issue that happened in Israel. Or or chapter 22, verse 25. uh, When money is loaned to a person but they don't repay the loan. What should take place? And I'm just letting you know that that God's wisdom comes to bear in a particular context with his particular people, because these are the things that are taking place. And he's giving answers, but up to this point, God has not laid out a written law. So these are all important weighty issues and must be dealt with. So this is why the people came. But now what did Moses do is the next question. Well, two things we find here. He judges them. In other words, he, he is deciding. He is deciding between one person and another. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of arbitration or mediation. If you have, you will know the heaviness of the burden of that role. You have to work for both parties and to do it in a way that is just and fair. And so you need to think clearly. You need to consider all the facts. You need to remain neutral. You need to say difficult things as they come up. And finally, you need to make a decision with a clear conscience. It's no small matter. These are heavy issues. So he judges them. Secondly, he instructs them. And the idea there is he's making them know God's statutes and laws. He's teaching them the word of God. He's showing them what God expects of them. Friends, this is all burdensome. But Moses is doing it because there's a need. There's a desperate need among the people. And so he's responding to that need. And you just have to imagine how many Israelites are standing in line. It would make the DMV seem, you know, a walk in the park. So what Moses was doing was a good work for the people. Let's make sure we understand that. Now we transition a little bit, and what we find is Jethro speaking into Moses' life. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So we saw that the fact that, that what Moses was doing was good. The what of what Moses was doing was good. Jethro is more concerned about the how of what Moses is doing. And he's saying how you're going about this is not good. So he's speaking now clearly to Moses about the train wreck that is coming if he doesn't change his habits and behavior. And ultimately it will be burnout for both Moses and for the people. They will wear themselves out. So first of all, let's consider here Moses. You will burn out. Why? Well, it's, it is too heavy. This thing, this burden, this responsibility, carrying out of this burden is just too much. You are just one man you can't do this alone now Jethro is not criticizing Moses wisdom and competence and faithfulness or his integrity as, as a man set apart by God to lead his people but he is emphasizing a blind spot a very dangerous corner that Moses has painted himself into you cannot do this for very much longer Moses If you do, you will be worn out. Now, friends, when those who are serving the Lord are in the trenches, they often don't see a way out. They don't feel that they can stop because the burden is so great. They want to serve the Lord. But secondly, the prospect of developing help seems daunting and time-consuming, especially when people... Are there lined up to need answers it's like well I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna train people to come along and help me I, I got to answer these questions now so he says you will burn out but now also I think it's important for us to realize that the people will burn out just think through that a little bit they will be frustrated that it's taking so long to get the advice that they need or for Moses to make a decision when there's a dispute They'll be exhausted from standing in line all day long. They will be exasperated when, having stood for hours, they only get a quick hearing from Moses. In the end, the people will lose heart and the judicial process, uh, they'll lose heart in the judicial process, and they will give up. Ultimately, this kind of model that Moses is, is experiencing here will not provide the necessary justice for the people of God. So they'll stop coming. They will not be helped and likely be going off in directions that are not consistent with God's truth. They will not have their disputes judged rightly, and there will be more conflict taking place in the community. Friends, if you find a leader is unavailable, you will likely turn somewhere else for help. And friends, you see the crisis that Israel is facing. Now, this is early in their development, isn't it? And and God is, is getting at this through Jethro to speak to Moses to deal with this particular issue. So without access to a faithful representative of the Lord, the people will likely wander and adopt the direction of their hearts as well as the wisdom of the world that they have known and in this case it will be the wisdom of Egypt and even with the changes that will take place god's people will still be looking back to Egypt and still be thinking about you know the way it was back then versus what god is calling them to now so this is the problem and jethro does a really effective job addressing the problem but now we move to the solution, and he's proposing a solution here. Verse 19, now obey my voice. Pretty authoritative, right? But what he's saying is, listen, you got a problem here. You need to listen to me, all right? He's not being obnoxious here. He's being straightforward and blunt because he sees the train wreck coming. I will give you advice, and God be with you. And what, this is what he says. First of all, he says, Moses maintain your priority i'm not wanting you to change anything about the central focus of what you have been called to do he says you shall represent the people before god and bring their cases to god and you shall warn them about the statutes and the law and make known uh, the way in which they must walk and they must do friends this is the heart of what moses is supposed to be doing in his role as mediator between God and the people of Israel. Jethro gets to the heart of it. He identifies these priorities. And these are the things that Moses cannot let slide. And this is Moses' central role and purpose. So he wants to make sure that this is the the main thing and that the main thing stays the main thing for Moses. And let's just think through what these things are. First of all, to represent. To represent the people to God and, and for God to speak to Moses or to speak to the people through Moses. So Moses is is taking on his role as an under-shepherd of God's people. Israel is God's flock, it's not Moses' flock. But in this case, God has raised up Moses to be his representative to the people, the mediator between God and Israel. Of course, that role has now been taken up by Christ. He is the mediator, with a capital M, between God and man, And as such is the great shepherd who leads and guides his flock, the church. But with the establishment of the church, God has placed the burden on elders then to uh, take that role of responsibility. So there's a representative dynamic here to represent. For, secondly, uh, the idea here is to, to, to teach or to warrant. Literally, the word means to enlighten. And so it has the idea of teaching about the statutes and laws. To teach them about God's revealed word, what God says, what God means by what God says. And then finally, to apply. To make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. In other words, to take God's statutes and laws and to show the people how to live them out. It's one thing to say, this is God's truth. It's another thing to say, this is how God's truth affects your life. and How you should apply it in your particular context. So he's seeking to apply it to their walk and how they are uh, to to be foundational for the choices that that they make, the decisions that they make in their walk with God. So Moses, maintain your priority. But now he gets to further describe the solution. Moses, choose able men. Moses needs to look for and raise up able men who can assist him to judge the people. You see, the burden of the responsibility to choose the men was not on the people, but on Moses. You will go to Deuteronomy. You will will see that the people do choose men from their various tribes. But ultimately, it is Moses that affirms and appoints the choices that the people make. In other words, he's the one who ultimately makes that decision based on some criteria. This is not a popularity contest. This is not a political move but the raising up of the kind of man whose character and competence would best be suited by God for the community. So these would need to be men who would have to learn the statutes and the laws of God, who would be capable of teaching God statutes and laws, who would, be, uh, who would have the skill and the wisdom to be discerning and to decide between disputes. And so we're given four categories of instruction here. First of all, Uh, we are given uh, instruction on the character of these men. Uh, Read verse 21, but I'll just note that there are four things that I see flowing out of verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. When it talks about able men, in other words, these are mature, competent, wise men. That's the idea of that expression. But not only are the able men, but they're from all the people. He's getting at, Moses, don't just pick your friends that are around you. You need to find men who are representing the people. They're not all from one tribe, but they're from a multiple, multiple tribes. In other words, so the people have confidence that they're going to someone uh, that, that they, can, they can look to, that represents them. They are godly men. So able men, representative men, godly men. In so other words, they're men who fear God. They serve the community under the banner of serving God. And finally, they're trustworthy men. They're faithful, dependable men who have outstanding integrity. And we see that by this illustration. They hate a bribe. Now, friends, Jethro is saying that the people of Israel are desperate not just for leadership, but for a leadership that is marked out by an outstanding character before God and men. And friends, the history of Israel is somewhat sketchy in places, isn't it? Godly character and leadership has given the nation success and prosperity if you look at the history of Israel. While self-serving character has brought trouble, suffering, and a nation's demise. All you have to do is look at, you know, 1st and 2nd Kings or... First and Second Chronicles, and you see, here's a godly king, here's an, an ungodly king, and here's what happened to the people, and here's what happens to the nation. You only need to read to the end of the book of Judges to find out what it's like to live in the context where there is no leader. Judges 21-25, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then we get to 1 Samuel and we see God raising up a godly leader in Samuel who would be the, the tool that God would use to ultimately raise up a, a God's chosen leader, the man that, God, that, that was after God's unhop, that, that God ushered in. Of course, that is David who would ultimately be the right king. So that's the character. Secondly, we'll notice here the structure. It says, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So this was a top-down tier kind of structure. And the purpose was twofold. The people, first of all, um, that ministry would be necessary to help the people uh, what needs to be manageable and achievable. And this would also uh, help the, the leaders because there's, there would be structure and provide organization and accountability and support for the things that they're facing. As I've been to Bolivia with uh, Matias Mojica, one of the things that I've had the privilege of doing is going to the, the, the mountain town of Samaipata. And in, and, and in that town there is what's called the Inca ruins, the last place where the Incas kind of fought off the enemy and then they disappeared. And Matthias walking around those Inca ruins began to describe for me the, the, the culture and the context of, uh, of the, the Inca people. And, and you, know, you would think, oh no, these are kind of you know, ancient pagan people, there wouldn't be kind of much structure, you know, they, they just kind of, I guess function, you know, it's our ignorance thinking about it. He says, no, 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 they were a very, very organized people. Um, they basically had 10 families, 10 families then would have one particular leader and that leader was responsible for those ten families and then that particular leader was also among ten other leaders there were under the let's say the authority and the care of another man who was a, a, a another leader over them and, and so on all the way to the top so you have these groups of ten 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 and here's how it worked you go right down to the bottom level here and that is if you had a person a man in particular who was one of the, those bottom ten, a family who was not willing to work, who was just kind of lazy on the job, it was the responsibility of the leader to make sure that he got to work, that he did his job. And if he didn't do what he was supposed to do, it would be punishment for that man as well as punishment for the leader. And that kind of responsibility went all the way up. Now, the reason I'm sharing that is this is that some of this advice that Jethro is giving is not necessarily this is is like, oh, from God, and no one's ever thought about it before until God revealed it. No, this is practical, common grace wisdom. You'll go to societies all over the place, and you'll see order, and you'll see structure. All right. So in Moses' case, this organization and structure are not the central focus. It is what the organization and the structure Provide for Moses. It helps Moses keep the main things a priority. To represent God and the people as mediator and to instruct the people in the knowledge and the application of his statutes and laws. So there's the structure, character, structure. Then we have responsibility. Verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So they had some understanding of what was great, what was small, or maybe they didn't, but if they were overwhelmed, maybe they thought, hey, you know what, Moses can handle that. But to judge the people at all times, they were to carry the bulk of, of the heavy work that Moses was doing. And the principle was simple then. The men, they'll judge the small matters, but the, the large ones, the great ones, will come to Uh, to Moses. He was in a sense the court of last resort. He was the supreme court of Israel if you like. Now here in the U.S. especially now with the death of Justice Ginsburg we understand the importance of anyone who serves in this kind of position because their character integrity and commitment to the rule of law will shape the future of a nation. But if you're burdened down With so many cases to hear and taking time to teach and guide people in God's truth on so many different issues, you will not make it. And when it does come time to make decisions on great matters, you might not have the strength or the mental stamina to make a wise decision. In fact, you may make a weak decision because you're overwhelmed. You might make a harsh decision because you don't have the energy to hear all the facts. You're likely gonna make a misinformed decision. And they had a responsibility. So, so these men coming alongside and undergirding Moses allowed then for those things not to take place so that decisions could be made with wisdom and integrity. And then we find the purpose. And this is how he kind of summarizes it here. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. So, the two, two purposes to ease Mo, Moses' load, to share the burden. So, friends, this is to be a shared leadership. There was far too much work for one man to do alone. And once the men were selected and instructed, they could help Moses bear the burden. So, they would judge the people together, shared responsibility. The elders taking the small cases moses taking the might want to say the more difficult cases but this is good for everyone now ultimately jethro says in verse 23 if you do this god will direct you you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their places in peace so you catch now uh, the importance of what he's saying in verse 23 moses you will be able to endure. In other words, the goal of endurance for Moses. And then for the people, they'll be able to go to their places in peace. The goal there is resolve. People going home. It's like, ah, our, 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 our difficulty, our struggle here has been resolved and we're at peace now. And we, we, we praise God for that. Now, as I said before, Most of the sermons that come from this text come from the idea of productivity and leadership in the business world. But did Moses write this account to give us leadership structures and advice? And I would say the answer to that question is no. In fact, an unbelieving professor could pull from this text principles of leadership. In fact, a rabbi could could pull from this text principles of leadership, but that is not the heart of the text. So why does Moses record this passage for us? Notice the book ends to Jethro's advice. There's clearly a concern on his heart. He couches everything with a couple of similar statements, doesn't he? He says early on here, God be with you. This is advice for the the purpose of helping you and God's people to be with God. And then he says, God will direct you. If you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. He will guide you. Here's the point. The reason we need godly leadership is because it is the means by which God has given us that we may focus on being or God being with us. Let me say that again. The reason we need godly leadership is because it is the means by which we God has given us that we may focus on God being with us. In other words, the focus is God being with us. And the means then is godly leadership that makes that happen. So how can God's people make God central? We must not lose the aim, we must not lose the focus of God being with us by looking at the means, in other words, Moses developing the structures in the organization. The the, the focus in this text is not the structure in the organization. That is a means to get to this goal of enjoying God being with us and hearing from God and God ministering to his people. So what Moses was doing was not good. It was to act and behave in a way that would render him unable to keep God with the people. This is the danger. But now with Jethro's advice, these people will go to their place in peace. Shalom. Ordered and satisfied in their souls. This peace is the result of ministering the word and showing people how to apply the word. So if God's appointed leaders are not able to actually do their job rightly and well, it is the congregation that suffers. Friends, it will be true for Israel and it is still true in the church today. God's people need men to lead them who are men of character. God's people need to be confident that they can go to such men with their struggles and not be used and abused for selfish gain. They need to be assured that the kind of counsel that they will receive is rooted in Scripture and not in the wisdom of the world disguised in the clothes of religion. That's why in the book of 1 Peter we're told the following. 1 Peter, in chapter 5, in verse 2 and 3, it says this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is Peter talking to the elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, uh, we read this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So both Peter and the writer of Hebrews understand that ungodly leaders, in other words, leaders Uh, who only have their own interests in mind, will do much harm to the people of God. And while 1 Peter is given to instruct the elders in their role, Hebrews is given to instruct the church to submit to the elders' leadership. Now friends, this text is also a foundation for what we read in both so, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verses 1 through 7, as well as Titus and chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And we're going to pick up Titus uh, in chapter 1, verse 7 here. And I want you to hear uh, just some of the language that's being used here. And we can say this all goes back to a text like this. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be, an arrogant, be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So friends, we see the development then of what it means to be an elder, of what it means to be a leader in the church going all the way back to Exodus chapter 18. But friends, there's something else going on here in our text. Something that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 3 understands. He compares the similar roles of Moses and Jesus together as mediators. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. I want you to see verses 1 through 6. I want you to see how he's handling this. And we're not going to do it now, but I would encourage you on your own. Read kind of the the context of what's going on here because it goes right back to this wilderness story. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself for the very house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting uh, in our hope. So here we have Moses who is a servant. Taking on the role of mediator between God and Israel. But we have then in the church. Jesus, who is the son, who is the mediator between God and the church. And, of course, that's a mediator with a capital M. What God's people desperately need is ultimately to see Jesus. We need to hear his counsel from his word. We need to hear him bring about their reconciliation and to speak into their disputes he is the one who warns us. He is the one who guides us in the way. He is the one who represents us to the Father. So we go to be with God through Jesus, his life, death, burial, and resurrection and and maybe just to help you out here you know sometimes maybe we get the godhead all kind of you know jesus over here and the father here and the spirit here understand they're all working together to breathe out what we call the word of god so when we talk about jesus being the one you go to we're talking about going to god now hear this beloved the role of the elders is not to be in the place of jesus And the role of Moses was not to be in the place of Jesus. But the role of the elders is to point to Jesus and to his word. That is why the ministry of the word on Sunday morning is the priority for us as a church. I remember, you know, being in a church before and talking about that the the word of God has to be central to everything that happens here. The, the, The pulpit is where it begins. And it was almost as if I said something that was so arrogant and self-serving. It's like, oh, you don't care about other ministries. No, I care about other ministries. But if the pulpit is not hot, everything else is going to diminish. It all flows out from this commitment, this heart uh, for the, the ministry of the word of God. And this is not so much about me as a pastor. I don't care who the pastor is. It is the pulpit that is the heart and soul of the church. This is why when God's people come to the elders for advice, we seek to point them to the scriptures and help them understand what they say. This is why when we counsel people who are going through difficult problems, we give them biblical counseling rather than secular counseling. You see, we are under shepherds who are committed to caring for the flock by pointing them to Christ and his word. So every sermon that you hear from this pulpit is not Rod's or Ed's or Albert's ideas of what you need but to say to our gateway family thus says the Lord as elders we are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give account. so we've seen then the um, uh, the problem we've seen the solution and now I want to draw your attention to the application here. The advice is applied. And we'll just walk through these verses. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and they judged the people at all times and the hard, any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So the application is very, very simple, and that's this. Moses listened, and Moses applied. He chose the able men, he organized them, and they ultimately judged the people just like Jethro counseled. And you could say there certainly is a principle for us to consider here, and that is this, that good advice can come from many places. It doesn't always have to be something that comes from the Word of God. There, is a, there can be general principles of truth that are out there that are beneficial to you. When you go to the doctor, you're not necessarily saying, what is your theology? You're saying, do you understand the body, right? So there's this common grace, wisdom that is out there, and sometimes we need to make sure that we're, we're measuring that, but we also need to measure it in light and against God's Word, right? What's interesting also in this kind of closing section is that Jethro now departs. We say goodbye to Jethro. He blew in the scene here in chapter 18 at the beginning, bringing Moses' family. And we saw something wonderful, didn't we? He, he, he departs having confessed that Yahweh is Lord. And he departs also having counseled Yahweh's leader. I mean, what a, what a way to serve as soon as conversion is taking place, using that natural wisdom to help. Now, just briefly here, as as we kind of have walked through this text, I do want to just quickly say, what are some leadership principles that we can find in this passage? And I'm going to list these really quick. These are not my concluding thoughts. These are just some quick things and observations, and I don't want to focus too much on it, but I want to at least identify it. First of all, organization, the need for wealth uh, thought through structure. Secondly, delegation, you can't do it all alone. You need other people to do it with you, right? Organization, delegation, priority. Keep the main thing the main thing. you got to fight to do that. Character, right? maturity, integrity, approachability are all part of that character. Then teachability, and I think you see this in Moses. He, was, he wasn't so aloof that he wasn't willing to be instructed by someone. He was willing... Uh, to, to be teachable and uh, this one goes with it humility um, you might learn something from someone that you would least expect to learn something from um, intentionality the needs of the people are the goal in other words the, the, this, the, the, the purpose of Moses' work was, was to, to, to care for the people it wasn't just about the structure it was about ultimately meeting the need of the people Right? there's an intentionality and then there's this overarching question that would be purpose why do you do what you do? Of course, Moses is, is doing this for the Lord, right? He's carrying out his role and responsibility for God. So organization, delegation, priority, character, teachability, humility, intentionality, purpose. I'm sure there's lots more you could pull from this passage. But again, these are peripheral. These are not central. These are not the heart of what the text is all about. Now, as you bring things to a close... I want to tease out some implications. And I think these implications are important for us. They're important for us as a church. They're important for us as a people. So first of all, the implications um, in the context of the church. And I have three implications that I think I, I would like for us to consider. And, and one of them is more a matter of teaching and just showing you why it's important. And the other two are really kind of saying we need to continue doing something. Right. First of all, there's a need for a plurality of elders. This text is a precursor for the organization and structure needed to properly govern God's church. Now I've attended or served in churches where the structure and organization is built off the leadership of one man, the pastor. There may be a group of deacons that serve under that pastor Um, But ultimately, he is the one who calls the shots. He is the one that is the advice giver. He is the one who basically rules the roost. He is the pastor. He has control. Uh, He has the authority. Unfortunately, you will not find that model uh, of church ministry taught in the New Testament. In particular, you won't find it in the pastoral epistles. Instead, what you will find is what we call the plurality of elders, where a team of qualified elders based on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 share the responsibility of oversight for the church. Now, this is what Paul tells Titus to do in Crete. Verse 5 of Titus 1, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He's not saying elders go to every town. He's saying in every town... I want you to create elders in another town create elders right so each church then had these elders that were able to lead so in this structure the teaching pastor that would be what the the role that I serve is one of the elders he's considered the leader among leaders but he's not a lone ranger He's surrounded by his fellow elders who serve as equals friends. I I, I could not do this without the support of the elders that we have here at Gateway. These elders are to keep each other accountable. They're to share the responsibilities of oversight. They care for the flock together. They protect the teaching pastor so that he can focus on the priorities of ministering the word and prayer, among other things. Together as elders... They seek to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is what we seek to do here at Gateway. We share the burden for the sake of the health of the body of Christ. And we do that joyfully unto the Lord. Now, I must admit, in in all my years in pastoral ministry, the kind of friendship, the kind of support, the kind of partnership I experience with our Gateway elders um, has really been exceptional. I have not experienced this in any other church that I have served in. Uh, we are truly blessed. Not perfect by any means, but blessed to be united um, around the gospel and, and the, the vision of, of the church. And so, friends, there's a need for a plurality of elders, and there's a need to make sure that we maintain that and that those elders are actually doing eldering in other words, they're all pastors, all shepherds. There might be a teaching pastor that does the bulk and the heart of it, but the other elders are there to support with the caring and shepherding of the flock. Secondly, I want to just talk a little bit about the need for training men for ministry. There's a huge need. Just like Moses had to raise up men to carry out these responsibilities, so we in the church need to be in the process of training men for ministry, For This should be a priority for us. As we began Gateway, we recognized this need and sought to work out a development of men, in particular, who would be competent and able to share in the pulpit ministry of the church. And if you remember, for about four years in a row, we had summer series. And those summer series were times where I was team teaching with about five to seven other guys in the church. And, and we came to you as a church family initially and said, look, if we're going to be training these guys, we have to give them an opportunity to actually preach. And I think the first one we did was on Titus. And every Sunday morning when, when we came, there were two preachers on, on those days, right? Both giving a, a sermon from each of their pastors. Why was that? And that may have been the first time for some of these guys ever preaching, but why was that? Because we need to be training. We need to be developing men. And as I look back, we preached through Titus and Nehemiah, the seven churches in Revelation, and then we did a series uh, on some, some selected uh, psalms. We did that all together, and quite frankly, all of these men work with me, and I work with them over the course of six months to help them understand how to approach it, how to develop it, and then they would actually prepare their sermons for me, and we would go over those sermons together, and, and together as a group, we would review what they had done so there's this wonderful process that was going on there and friends uh the, the fruit of that labor was a host of men who not only served us from the pulpit but also were competent to lead ho- small groups and home groups and counseling and men's ministry and served along with me on the mission field as i went and taught some of them came along and taught with me right now i i'm, I'm saying this because there's a need for us to have men who are competent who can carry out ministry and not just being the elders. Now let me mention some of the, the, the names of these men who have served us in those capacities. And, and I'm, I'm saying this simply to, to reflect over nine years of ministry. Of course, we have our present elders, Albert Castaneda, Ed Bessard, Alex Bakulin, who is a prospective elder right now. Of course, there's J.D. Bautista, who was a former elder. Matt Dodson, who was a former elder. Dennis Braga, who was a prospective elder. Then Johnny Kim, that we were wanting to put into perspective, Elder. And then Mark Z, if you remember him. And of course, Chris Kiagiri was with us more recently for for a considerable season that we were talking about in those kind of roles. Now, God in his wisdom has chosen to send those men and their families out to serve them in other places. In fact, their, their names kind of read much like the end of one of Paul's Letters, right? Greet J.D., whom we sent to Austria. Matt left to serve the Lord in Houston. Dennis, who returned to Madeira. John E. to Long Beach. And Mark Z. to Sacramento. And Chris to Oakland. They've gone out, and they're, they're, they're going places to serve the Lord. Now, they may not have all gone out to actually serve in a particular church. Other things took them different places. But wherever they're at, they're serving God faithfully there. And each of these men were growing and developing in the context of Gateway and are now continuing to serve the Lord in their respective churches. And for that, we praise the Lord. This might all seem like me bragging, and it's really not. I'm simply reminding you so that you can see the true blessing of it, and then for the need, then, to continue this training for the health and well-being of the church. And friends, it means that the training of men must go on. We must work hard to make the training of men a priority in our church so that ministries can be shared and opportunities can be met with character, competence, and gospel-centered care. So the need for plurality of elders, the need for training men for ministry. Third, the need for both men and women to serve the body of Christ so that it can be equipped and built up in love. Now, of course, Exodus 18 is all about leadership. But in talking about leadership, we don't want to neglect the fact that the elders then are able to do what they need to do because there are so many people working together overseeing other areas of ministry. And this is what we have in Ephesians chapter 4, isn't it? Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And, and friends, we have men and women serving together in various capacities in the church. You know, I, I mean, just a reminded of of the kind of behind the scenes ministry of of women like Sarah Lopes and Jane Pogey and Kathy Kim who help oversee our children's ministry, our worship teams, which you see uh, every week. Of course, including Peter Tamita and Tim Yu, but we also have Elliot and Joy and Ashley and Dorina and Yulia all working to make those things happen. We've got setup crews on Sunday morning. We've got a broadcasting team. We have men's and women's ministry. We, ha- we have counseling that's done by men and women. We have middle and high school students that are ministered by men and women. We have home groups and Bible studies. We have a sync team that's a blending of all of that together. The point is, we all have a role to play. And when everyone is taking the responsibility of using their gifts in the body of Christ, one of the things that it helps is it helps the elders then to focus on the things that God has called them to. It's not just an aloof leadership. It's a church that understands, let's do our part so that we can liberate the leaders to make sure they're doing the things that God has called them to do. So friends, we're all in this together. So the need for plurality of elders, for training men for ministry, and for both men and women to serve in the body. These are the implications in the context of the church. Now I'm gonna get myself in trouble with the next one, but I do think that there are implications in the context of what we would understand to be our government. Friends, when we understand that our country's government is built upon a Judeo-Christian ethic, we understand that passages like this one, are the foundation of that ethic. Now, when I say Judeo-Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're talking about being a Christian nation, okay? We're talking about uh, uh, fundamental principles that undergird our society that came from the ethics of Judaism and Christianity, ultimately Old Testament, New Testament. And so in light of that reality, let me ask some questions that this passage will help you answer. I'm not gonna answer the questions for you, but I'm going to ask the questions and I'm going to ask you then to, on your own, process and think through this. All right? Who will you vote for and why? Will it be Democrat, Republican, or another party? Can a gospel loving Christian truly vote for any of the parties or candidates? How can we truly cast a vote with a clear conscience? Well, friends, this, this text gives us a clue. Now, remember, when it comes to politics, we're not voting for a pastor. Um, or even a Christian leader, for that matter. An incompetent Christian leader is not necessarily better than a competent unbeliever. The real question this uh, this text asks us to consider as it relates to the application here is this. Is the candidate for president, for senate, for the house, for judgeship, and or the local positions a man or woman of character? That's a very important question. And of course, the follow-up question to that is this. What if neither of the leaders on the ballot are people of character? What do we do then? And you've got to ask yourself some other questions. What kind of people are they most likely to appoint to serve in their cabinet? What kind of judges are they going to set over the people? What kind of laws are they likely to uphold or to ignore? What kind of policies or agendas are they likely to bring into the context of our nation? Also, are they likely to push for justice and equity for all, or just for a few? Do they use people for their own selfish gain, or are they more likely to serve the people in order to bring about peace? Are the people around them honest, truthful, trustworthy? Is there a sense in which they truly represent the people Or do they only represent the special interest groups that fund them? Do they read the Constitution in light of the author's intent? Or do they read it as a document that can be manipulated to say things that it never says or intends even to say? Is resolving disputes their goal? Or stirring up strife their goal? Now, friends, I'm not answering these questions. But when you're talking about the need for a country to have leadership, we go back to a passage like this and we, we see the criteria that is laid out for us. Having character matters. No matter what, whether it's Democrat, Republican or other party, what kind of leaders are they gonna be? What kind of leaders are they gonna put in place? What kind of leaders are gonna carry out The things that are part of the passion of who they are uh, in their platform. These are all questions that that can tease out of a text like this to say, all right, what should we do as a Christian? Should we just abandon the whole process? Or do we still have a place that we can make some decisions? So there's implications in the context of government. There's also implications here for our pursuit of Christ. And we'll finish with this. Clearly, Jesus is greater than Moses. That's what we read In Hebrews, Moses served the people as mediator, but God could only speak for, uh, sorry, he served as mediator, but he could only speak for God. Jesus serves the church as mediator, but he is God, right? Big difference. So if you're wondering what God might think on a certain subject, open up his word. Listen to what Jesus has to say. He breathed it out for you. And for your benefit. If you're facing a trial, a dispute, or a struggle, turn to Jesus. He is your answer. Hear this. He is always available. He's always approachable. His character is impeccable. He truly understands your struggle. He is thoroughly trustworthy. He's eager to help. He will give you peace. Jesus says to the people who are listening to him, the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It is Jesus to whom we must ultimately go. And it's in Jesus that we can actually be with God. Lord, help us today. There's a lot that this passage um, speaks to us about. And Lord, as a church, we want to be the the, the kind of church that you desire for us to be. And we see, Lord, the, the importance of having a plurality of elders. We see the importance of not, not allowing just one man or even a group of men all to be so burdened down that uh, it's, it's a struggle for them. And even the kind of ministry that needs to take place can't take place. And so Lord, there's a need then to, to raise godly men. There's a need for men and women to take on roles of responsibility in the church so that the church can be functioning well and people can be equipped and built up in love. Lord, there's a need for us to be wise and thinking through things like uh, what we are going to do as far as casting a vote or how we view how our government is run or what is going on in our local communities. But, Lord, it also speaks to our relationship with you. Lord, it's so easy to be distracted and to find our hope and our answers in something that is other than you. Lord, help us to come to you for rest. Help us to come to you to find help. Help us to come to you to resolve our disputes. And, Lord, may we as elders do our part then to point not only our people, but, Lord, even those that are outside Gateway, to the answers and the solutions that you give through your word, but, Lord, also the answer and the solution that you would give because you died on the cross and paid for the sin of all those, Lord, who would believe. We praise you for being a great God. May we be wise now as we take these things and we seek to to wrestle with them in our own context. Your precious holy name.